Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is Brian Law, the CMO of ZoomInfo. ZoomInfo is a large company in the B2B revenue space. Over 30,000 customers 1.2 1.2 billion in revenue. This company does it right. You know, one of the things Brian stressed is 40% gross margin in this company. So they are a healthy company and they know how to drive great outcomes. Now, one of the interesting things that Brian told me off air was that he finds his sweet spot is in companies that are doing over a billion in revenue. And admittedly, a lot of the guests I've had on this podcast are great at getting you from startup to, you know, 10, 20 million or 20 million to over 100 but it's a very different beast to go and take a company that's doing a billion and continue to achieve that type of growth. It requires looking at opportunities. And Brian shares how he learned how to do this in his career at great brands like Rackspace, even existing in the consumer space uh, in a grocery chain called HEB before he was at Tableau and part of Salesforce. So tons of perspective of large organizations and what it takes to both get in the weeds and also see what those trends for bigger opportunities for a company might be. This is a great episode, really research-based type of approach to how to listen to your customers. Here's my chat with Brian Long. Brian, I am really excited to jump in here. Let's not waste any time. You have been with some amazing companies that are doing significant revenue. And and sometimes I speak to someone and it's like, you're making this jump to a company doing over a billion revenue. In the case of ZoomInfo, I think it's like 1.2 billion today. But you've been with companies in your career that are doing 30 plus billion in revenue. Tell us about what this means in terms of coming in and, and having so much oversight to different threads of revenue. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, whether it was, uh, you know, Google or Salesforce, definitely much larger companies. I, I, in many ways, I think my sweet spot is uh, sort of in the one to two uh, billion dollar range. It's where there's a lot of uh, sort of a lot of s- scale already in place, but normally a ton of opportunity to really take it to the next level, to build on the incredible work that's uh, been done before. Uh, but to you know more effectively communicate with your customers, help improve conversion, and then really drive uh, drive revenue. And so Ultimately, I think you're solving the same set of problems, regardless of your company size. Uh, it just is a question of sort of the resources and, and, and the way in which you're going to delegate uh, out across your team, the organization, and work with partners to get it done. So when you jump into these companies at this scale, and in the case of where you are today at Zoom Info, I believe there's 3,500 employees. The marketing team alone is is probably larger than a lot of SaaS technology companies that you see out there. You got 150 marketers. So when you you jump in there, how do you determine what is in place and working and where is that opportunity to make improvements, as you just said? Yeah. And our our marketing org's about 150, 150 folks. I, so, so one of the things, so early, early in my career, um, I, I spent 12 years doing consulting and a lot of what you learn because the projects are really, really different is, is how to get good at pattern recognition, how, how to, you know, 
quickly sift um, through information and figure out where you want to focus your time and effort. Since doing that, I've now worked at a number of different companies in, in, in marketing. And I always think about like, where can you lift or where can you shift the biggest levers that are going to have near-term impact quickly? Uh, and a lot of that tends to be around, do you know who you're going after? Do you know what they care about? Uh, are you communicating with them in a way that makes sense? Are you spending uh, your, your dollars in a way that's going to maximize your ability to reach and convert them? And then sort of uh, using the right technology, whatnot. Many times the first place I look is where you're spending money because that's the thing that you can most quickly move and it tends to impact the bottom of the funnel. And you start to you know, see goodness there, which then gives you the time and hopefully the credibility with others in the organization and then change some of, some of those other things. So that's, uh, there's a bit of pattern recognition, a bit of like what I've seen work and then just practically what you can change uh, most quickly to, uh, to see results. So you rhymed off some of the companies where you've seen this at, uh, you know, Tableau, later acquired by Salesforce, was over a billion in revenue at the time that that deal happened. Uh, you were also an interesting stop in your career was not in the technology space, uh, but rather more in the consumer grocery space with massive revenues yet again. And, and I think in a lot of smaller organizations, we think of, as you just said, check in on where spend is happening and you, you look within marketing. Is that the case or are you looking more on the finance and operations side to get that insight as you get in the door? Yeah, uh, and, it, and it definitely varies uh, a little bit company to company. I mean, um, still a majority of my career has been in uh, strategy. Uh, so a lot of times I was influencing not only what was going on in marketing, but across the entire organization. Uh, the most... Uh, easily move spend always does sort of sit in the marketing department. Uh, it's why many times when there's a downturn, finance first comes to marketing and says, hey, what, what can we what can we cut out of your budget? Uh, but, but I do think it, when you're figuring out your go-to-market strategy, it, it's not just marketing. It's also sales. It's sort of your customer success team. Uh, and, and so when you're trying to figure out how to most effectively deploy those resources, people, dollars, whatnot, you should be doing it with your partners uh, and other parts of the organization. Uh, and so whenever possible, uh, you need to make sure you have those really, really strong relationships uh, and that you're actively thinking about how to, to, to sort of allocate money uh, and whether that's actual dollars or programs or uh, you know, people in headcount, uh, all of those should be within, within the mix. Interesting. So as, as you look back on your career now, and we've already hit on some of the successes, you know, this though is your first opportunity as a CMO. Uh, and a lot of people can't wait for that. And you know, then you're thrown in and it's, it's an opportunity to look back and say, what, it, what are the moves that I have to make? Who can you credit for turning you into the type of CMO you are today? What, you know, which people or which opportunities gave you that worldly perspective? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think every you know person that I've worked with and every experience has made me slightly better. And 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 part of what I've tried to do is seek out opportunities that that challenge me and and almost always put me beyond my comfort comfort zone. But in terms of uh, some specific uh, people, uh, so Jackie Yaney, she was the uh, CMO at Tableau, uh, my boss. Uh, and, and I had lots of candid conversations with her about where I wanted to go, like what were my blind spots? And she actively worked to help me address those and give me opportunities to sort of expand my skill set. Because normally you're moving into CMO from uh, sort of a smaller company where you've already had that or from a larger company where you've only had a, a partial uh, set of responsibilities and you need to complement uh, on the other area. So Jackie was uh, really, really helpful. I just really appreciate her and think she's a great mentor. 
Uh, also, uh, Taylor Rhodes, he was the CEO at Rackspace when I was head of strategy and chief of staff there. And that was actually how I first got into marketing. And uh, the way that sort of it, we had set it up was I was going to come in and learn the business and then roll out into a part of marketing uh, or part of the company that needed help. And he actually pushed me into marketing. He said, you know, you love uh, customers, you love strategy, you love thinking about how to uh, leverage data to, to effectively uh, drive outcomes. I think marketing would be a perfect fit. And, and actually, in my first conversation with him, when he said that, I said, Taylor, I, I don't think you're right. Uh, and he said, well, I want you to trust me. Let's try it out and see how it works and then, and then talk to the CMO um, and, and then joined, uh, joined her team. But I, I'd probably point to them as probably the two most, most impactful. So I, I got to give you credit. I think a lot of people listening to this are probably envisioning this bigwig CMO who's worked at all these big companies. And you talked a lot about strategy and planning. But the first time you and I met in person, first off, you came up to me one-to-one -one after we had exchanged as a potential prospect. But the most defining thing that I saw from you was when you were literally twirling a sign for a taxi stand for customers. And you had this rotating sign, like, you know, the, the people we associate trying to wave someone down on the side of a highway. And, and I just looked at it as this is someone who doesn't put a role or task beneath them. And, and I'm wondering how you balance that, you know, being at that strategic level, but also finding ways to get down onto the floor and be in touch with customers, which you said is a, a big trend for you of, of that voice. Where, how did how did that get ingrained in you? Yeah, um, yeah. In, in that specific example, we were at a conference together, and uh, where the buses were picking people up to uh, to go to our event had moved, and so uh, yeah, I was doing what I could to make sure that people got to the right the right spot. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you're part of a team, and you are all trying to figure out how to drive that outcome. And inevitably, to be most effective, you need to allocate roles and responsibilities across. But in the moment, there are times when everyone just needs to do whatever it takes to get stuff done. Um, and so I think that is definitely top of mind. I was actually just talking to my leadership team about that earlier today of, hey, there's some things we're solving for and we need to figure out how to get all hands on deck to, to try and push that forward. But, but I think the second piece is, I mean, at the end of the day, you're hopefully building a really strong team of individuals and everyone wants to be a valued member of a winning team on an inspiring mission. Uh, that was something a founder um, that I worked with would always say. And I feel like part of the way of making people feel valued is is getting in the trenches with them and, and helping them get stuff done at times, uh, and and never thinking, oh, I'm you know, I, I can't be spending my time or being bothered on those things. It's just practically not not true, and it's not the way to to build uh, inspired teams. I love it. We'll we'll leave it there for a minute. I think that's the right mindset to being a leader and creating any journey in your career. But Brian, we're going to switch over to go to market right after a break here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
I joked around a little bit about Brian being out on the street, flipping a sign to get customers over, but I can't stress enough the importance of customer engagement face-to-face. -face. Later on in this conversation, we'll hear Brian talk about ways that he's run surveys to do this, but never underestimate the ability to get in front of someone, to get on a bus with them at an event, to interact with them at your booth at an event, or grab a meal together. These unlock opportunities where a customer will open up about their true frustrations. Now, surveys are really important as well to look at those macro trends, but we can cross-reference what we're hearing and really highlight that human side when we get out in the field. Ryan, I will admit, I went to ZoomInfo's website recently and I've always associated ZoomInfo as this data company. Um, and I think a lot of people who I know think of it as a data first company. But then I saw all these different aspects of what the company does today. You've been there now for just about a year. I'm curious how much you believe that has to change that perspective. Yeah, it's... Um... It definitely has to change. And it was one of the reasons that I joined because uh, as I was even learning about the breadth of Zoom Info's products, I was really, really excited about the the potential and the strength of the products and the fact that there was such low awareness on the breadth of the platform. Because uh, to me as a marketer, that that just creates um, incredible opportunity to uh, to hopefully do a good job if you can, uh, if you can span that gap. So 30,000 customers today, you know, 1.2 billion. I don't need you to break it down for me, but I'm going to assume a lot of that is tied to the data piece. So how do you determine where that next big opportunity is when you're looking to expand? How do you see beyond the area that feeds most of them as at the table? Yeah, well, so, I mean, probably what most of you uh, think about Zoom Info for is we do have the world's best B2B data. You may not know that that extends into we are ranked number one for intent. In fact, G2 just again uh, put us number one for intent. Uh, but that's only a part of what we do. Uh, we've also spent a ton of time building out an engagement platform across sales and marketing and helping companies actually automate a lot of their go-to-market uh, motions. And so that's really where we're trying to focus everyone's attention on that fact as a go-to-market you know, organization or set of department, sales, marketing operations, you can all come together and drive growth and efficiency through uh, through Zoom Info. And, and part of what I really spent my first year on is how do we change that perception across everything that we're doing in marketing, but also in our other uh, parts of the organization. So people tuning into this might have just got worried that, you know, they're going to get a sales pitch here as B2B marketers listening to this. That's not what this is going to be. I, I personally think the story of Zoom Info and the opportunity as Brian is describing here to go broader is is a great case study. So Talk to me about some of the ways that you figured out what those biggest pockets for opportunity might be by engaging with customers. Yeah, so um, I'm a huge believer in uh, the research that comes out of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute. They're attached to the University of uh, South Australia. And in a big piece that they talk about, it's this idea of mental availability. So you want to be in people's brains when they're in buying situations so that they think of your brand. Uh, and so we did some work in Q4 to really understand when people are thinking about go-to-market platforms uh, and when they're thinking about you know data and, and intelligence and insights and, and engagement, what are those things that come to mind? What are the pain points that they're solving for? Uh, and we did uh, research with prospects and with customers to, to find out just that. So when they're thinking about the category, what are they thinking about uh, when they think about us? What are they thinking about when they think about our competitors? What are they thinking about 
and really identifying that white space and then using that to drive all of the messaging that we're now putting into market. Uh, and so we're now in sort of the execution piece of that that journey. But it's, uh, yeah, ho- hopefully it'll be really impactful because it's, it's it's very uh, intentionally driven by, by, by research and what our customers think and feel. So just to clarify, when you say the execution phase, you're in the execution phase of taking the feedback or gathering that feedback? Yeah, oh, yeah and thanks for, for clarifying. So we've identified uh, what the uh, sort of the key things are that our, our prospects and customers are, are thinking about. And what we heard was essentially there, people want to be able to unlock insights from data. They want to be able to engage with customers effectively across channels in an integrated way across sales and marketing. And they want to be able to sort of win or grow faster, improve conversion rates through sort of automation and scaling. And so those were the, the insights that we took from the, the, the survey. And we've actually now put them into our, our sort of marketing messaging. It's guiding what we're doing. Uh, it's on the sales side. It's going into our corporate pitch deck and things like that. Uh, and it's going to be going into some of the branding efforts that we're going to be uh, launching. So, yeah, we're, we're sort of implementing those insights into what we're putting into market. So I'm curious as you describe this, and it sounds like you've done this before and subscribed to this mentality, is this more of a messaging reframe or is this also to re-plot a product roadmap? Which one is kind of more the priority when you take when you initiate something like this, I should say? Yeah, I mean, so at the and this potentially ties back just into my time doing consulting, but uh, ideally when you're figuring out what the company is going to do, you start with what is it that your prospects and customers need now? What do they know they need in the future? And then potentially, what do you think they need that they may not be able to fully articulate? And then that certainly should influence what marketing is saying, but ideally it's also influencing what your product is doing or your services. Uh, And so very much a conversation point for us has been, hey, these are the things that we're hearing. How are we incorporating that into into our product roadmap? Uh, And then certainly how we message our our product roadmap. So that has been an active conversation across, uh, across the company. So can you give us some real examples of some of the advice and then some of the immediate changes you've been able to make to the messaging or to certain collateral and how that's being received so far? Yeah. So uh, the the example I've always, uh, that I use internally is, uh, you know, imagine you're walking into a room, you're just trying to get to the other side and you have tons of people screaming at you while you're making that, that transition. Everyone's trying to sell you the product. And, and the problem we've had is we've had, you know, 10 people from Zoom Info in the room all screaming over each other about, hey, you know, we do this marketing OS thing that's an ABM platform or we do the sales. And so what we really have been trying to focus on is how do we have a coordinated, consistent set of messages that talk about sort of the broader problems that people are solving? And then when they get further into the, the conversation, we can talk about our products. Uh, but that has been a really, really big push. That is something that we have actively uh, changed and we're, and we're shifting in sort of everything that we put out into market. So that's been a really big change in terms of the the marketing efforts uh, we've created at the sort of the top level those messaging pillars. But then for our products, they all ladder into them. So for you know the marketing side or the sales side or the operation side, they all tie into those individual pillars. And then the actual content that we're creating, we're measuring against those pillars. Are we actually creating content against those? What percent of our content is aligned versus not? Uh, and then what are the specific keywords that we're wanting to use that effectively ladder into that content? Um, so we are trying to get pretty pretty tactical. I'd say some of those final execution pieces were we're still systematizing, but um, definitely trying to get there. I love that, and I and I appreciate you weaving this to the content conversation for me because I was naturally had to go there. How did that 
come into play? Was this using data from the survey or was it using findings from the survey to determine the content? I think sometimes we get confused as marketers that every survey is a content op opportunity versus sometimes it's just direction for your content. Yeah. Yeah. And so a little bit of... Um... A little bit of both. So, uh, I mean, one of the things in the way that we did the survey was we were asking people freeform questions to try and get their understanding of how their you know thoughts, feelings, emotions work. Uh, and it was really interesting to see that some of the clustering of of things that people care about that really inform like the the the, the pure messaging that um, that we were thinking about. Also, looking you know when someone mentions this and they mention this, the sort of the connectivity between how themes and people's brains work. And and I almost think of it as. Uh, if you imagine it as the individual nodes that people have and how our memories work, that sort of if one node gets triggered, it likely is triggering some other ones as well. And so by really poking and prodding and getting people's perspective, you understand how those things come together. Um, so it gave us like the directional in insights and information about where we should focus, but also gave us a lot of ideas on, you know, some of the things we want to use to to build out those content ideas and what are related topics and what people think that are are, you know, connected versus not. Uh, and, and we're uh, definitely trying to incorporate all of that into what we're building out. So certainly some early days on the content creation process, because we've, you know, created more sort of the structure and, and the plans on how we're going to build it out. But um, yeah, certainly trying to be as, you know, formulaic as possible while leaving space for creativity. So I'm generally interested both in terms of what Uberflip does. And I think a lot of people who listen to this just are intrigued by MarTech in general. And I'm curious, and you've used the word go to market quite a few times. I see it on your website a lot. Is that the new overarching term that Zoom Info wants to tie itself to versus marketing or versus sales or that coordination? Do you believe that that is the culmination of all revenue activity? Yeah, and it's actually interesting as part of some of our um, branding efforts that we're working through. We went back to Henry Shucky's, our, our our founder and CEO, his uh, founder's letter uh, that he put together, and he talked about the time of wanting to modernize go to market. I think definitely a bit before his time because I think go to market is becoming more more popular now. But but that really is true. We want to help companies modernize their go to market motions, and so that is what we're leading into. Uh, and I think an important piece of it is really how do you bring sales and marketing together? I think there's been sort of, uh, you know, evolutions where, you know, the, the thinking was marketing needed to nest under sales because sales would effectively drive it. And that didn't necessarily work out. Uh, and, and then I think maybe sales and marketing potentially feuding a little bit, not coming together. And I, there's, there feels to be a, a more recent push of, yes, that, you know, sales and marketing need to get aligned on, on the overall goals, the metrics. Uh, alignment on sort of who you're talking to and how you're talking to them. What are your target account lists, things like that. And then actually sort of measuring together that performance. And I think that alignment um, is going to be really forced as we continue to go through this downturn, because normally companies would look at first marketing and sort of then sales independently. And I think what we're all realizing is that there's tons of waste between those two departments and the other go-to-market functions, customer um, success operations. We strongly believe that is where the market is going. That's where there's a lot of focus, including on the tech, uh, to drive that uh, connectivity across go-to-market overall. Really well put. A, a really interesting take, Brian. We're going to pause here. I got a couple more questions for you right after this last break. The 
interesting part about the end of our conversation is that there's no one aligned view of how a sales and marketing and success team come together. Some organizations will have a CRO, but in some cases only marketing and sales reports into the CRO. In some, CS and sales report in, but not marketing. So who brings together these organizations? Is it a person, perhaps the CEO, or is it a mentality like go to market? I think that's something that's being tested right now in times where retention and net new pipeline are equally important to organizations. I believe the trend we'll see is this GTM term will continue to be on the rise. Brian, we've hit on your career and we've talked a little bit about the buyer journey that you're mapping, a big focus around go-to-market. To be a CMO today, what is the most important skill that you've acquired that is key to the next CMO attaining? Yeah, um, so maybe a functional and then a sort of an approach. Uh, Wall Street Journal actually recently did an article maybe a couple of months ago saying that uh, you know, across demand gen, brand, and product marketing, which are three big buckets, the demand gen side just in the near term is going to be uh, the most critical. Uh, from a skill perspective, I think the biggest thing is being able to effectively dive in quickly and identify and notice patterns by being sort of a learner and just asking the right questions. And I think that's what's actually allowed me to be successful and to sort of span beyond what I came through, which is more demand gen analytics and operations into leading a full marketing department. Yeah, no doubt that that's also a key part, as you said, of, of starting in consulting as a career and, you know, bringing that ability to to quickly diagnose opportunity. So let's let's continue. And we, we hit a little bit about content in the conversation in the second half today. I'm curious your take on where content comes into play in all of your go to market motion. Um, and what what I mean by that, you know, what channels do you most commonly link to content from today? Um, and, and I'm pausing for a second because I'm sort of asking myself, when is content not not important? I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, in order to convince anyone to come in and buy a product, you need to be able to communicate the value that you are providing to them. And content is the sort of the baseline for that. Uh, so, so I would say it's actually a driving factor of everything that we are doing and really where we start, which is like, what was that? Who are we wanting to go after? What do they care about? And then what content do we want to provide to them? And then we think about, okay, what are the channels and the mix and how do we effect effectively surface it? But I mean, it, it, it spans across everything. Like it, it's, I mean, really the first step after identifying what, who, who we want to go after and what they care about. I love that. Uh, and, and you talk so much about the importance of finding the right accounts that you want to go after. I mean, that's, that's a big part of your strategy. It's a big part of what Zoom Info does. What does it mean for that content to be personalized? You know, when someone's reaching you in your inbox or whatever channel, as you said, what tells you that that content has been picked for you? Yeah. Well, and so I'm going to be a little contrarian on on this one. There's um, the Wharton uh, Neuroscience Initiative uh, did some research and and, and they found that uh, not only do you need to think about individuals and the way that they process messaging, but you actually need to look across people and the consistency of sort of the core, like the high-level messages across people is actually really, really important. So the way in which you convey that content can be personalized and make it relevant. 
But what you want to be doing is creating a consistent impression of your brand across people, across companies and things like that. And, and so the way that we probably, the way that we do index is how do we be thoughtful about who we want to talk to and how do we target? And then how do we make sure we're building out those messages in ways that are relevant? But the macro messaging we want to make sure is really, really consistent across the people that we are going after. I love that. It's it's a different take than than I usually hear, and and I think it's important. It's the consistency is just as important as the personalization because if you got multiple stakeholders in any deal, if they're saying different things, you're not going to get to a consensus at the end of the day. Uh, Brian, my last question for you, probably the toughest, although that that you made that one seem like it should be. And, and that is comes down to a different type of, of balance and consistency. How do you achieve that in terms of your life? Uh, for those who are, you know, obviously just listening to this podcast, I see some great photos of family behind you. How do you make them a priority with a company that's doing over a billion in revenue? Yeah. And, and I, and I wish I could say I'd perfected, uh, perfected that one. Uh, yeah, try, trying to figure out that balance is something that is always uh, top of mind. I spent a lot of time talking to my wife about uh, about that one. Uh, but some of the ways that we try and approach it is uh, certainly within my team and sort of my our leadership team. It, it is a topic we discuss uh, thinking about uh, you know overall balance. Uh, we created something called team agreements, which Salesforce used when I was there. And some of the, the things are you know, how, how do you make sure there's blocks of time so you can get work done so that you're not just doing it at night or sort of on the weekends or something like that? How do you shorten meetings? So we start meetings five minutes late, but there are a lot of these like incremental things that we do that make space so that you can have time outside of work. Uh, and then uh, I, I do have some very strict rules, which is at six o'clock, I always stop and I make sure I have dinner with, with my family and I help, uh, you know, put the girls uh, to bed. I have a two and four year old. And, uh, you know, that, that time as well as sort of time on the weekends really is set up for for time with the family and then I may need to work at nighttime to sort of make up for that. Uh, but really ensuring that, that I value what is uh, ultimately most important, which is, uh, which is my family. I love that. Uh, I, I'm going to summarize that as blocking and tackling, uh, especially when you got a two and four year old, as you said, Brian, so much great information shared here from how you become a CMO to how you're tackling the journey. And, and I think a lot of it is really insightful and research based. If you've stumbled upon this as the first CMO story on this podcast, check out over 150 people who have joined me. Everyone's journey is a little unique. Hopefully you're creating your own path and one day you'll be on here to share it. Until next time, a big thanks to Brian and thanks to all of you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.